There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Have you ever wondered what marks our time here? If one life can really make an impact on the world. Or if the choices we make matter. I believe they do. And I believe that one man or one woman can change many lives. For better or worse. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today I have the author of The Employed Immigrant, How to Land Your Next Six-Figure Job in the United States. Her name is Lee Lin. And let me tell you a little bit about Lee. 16 years ago, she came into the United States not knowing a word of English. She only knew how to shake and nod. And as the only immigrant in the Catholic school that she came to the United States for, there were no ESL classes, she was held back a grade, and it was essentially sink or swim time. Within two years, she skipped a grade, made it to all the honors, AP classes in high school, and went on to, to go to school at UC Berkeley because she refused to settle for anything but the best. A month after graduation, she remembered sitting on the floor of her apartment without a single job interview. What the hell happened? She decided it, it, it was time to cry. It was time to get back into uh, you know hustling, and she personally emailed a hundred CEOs and got ninety rejections and ten interviews, two offers. Accepted a job as a business analyst with zero experience, no internships, and she was subsequently fired. She started a TOEFL teaching business, and in the process, she started to help students improve. And this was sort of that turning point where she became to she came to realize that um, there are many people that come, that come to the United States here and she's got a skill for helping them and educating them into, uh, their, into ways they can fuel a passion into getting jobs they want. I'll have her share more of the story, but without further ado, welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you so much, Tayo, for the great introduction. Um, really an honor to be here. I've been a fan of your podcast for a while now and uh, excited to 
um, talk to you about my story. Thank you. Now, the honor is mine. I, I, as, as I share with you, a lot of people in the audience know I, I'm, I'm an international student. So ever since I was 17, I've been on visas. You know, it's F1 visa. It's, uh, you know, then, then you go back to, you know, whether you OPT, then go to student visa. Yeah, H1B. And, yeah, H1B. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to student visa for my um, MBA. But then this time around, mm-hmm. I didn't get the H1B. I got the O1 visa. And I didn't, up until that point, oh. know that there was an option. And and a lot of times when I when I talk with international students, they tell me that I don't even know if I can get the job I want here because the options are not there. But you say no to that. Why? Um, first off, I just want to say you're one of the first people I've met with an outstanding um, person visa because it's so rare to get them. So props to you for you know <laughs> getting the O one because. Um, the H-1B is already limited, so for people who don't know what the heck it is, um, it's a visa uh, granted to international students. Um, uh, for Are we talking about OPT and H-1B? I'm getting a little bit mixed no, up. No, so the OPT is yeah. after yeah, yeah. you graduate, yeah, you get a year um, working in the U.S. It has to be an E-verified company. And then after that year, if you are a STEM major, so if you are in science, uh, technology, engineering, or mathematics, you get a three-year extension just because there's a shortage of you know, engineers in the U.S. and we want to get as many of those people here. And after those three years, you can go into the lottery. Uh, yeah, it is actually a lottery. It has 65,000 spots uh, allocated just for you know, regular people who have at least a bachelor's degree. Um, but for those who have completed their master's in the U.S., they get 20,000 more extra spots. So in all in total, 85,000 spots. So you can imagine because every year, double the amount of people or more apply to that visa. And I think within three days or five days, all those visas are gone. So it's a very cumbersome process. It's unfortunate because, you know, we say we're the land of the free. You know, we, we take in, you know, the best people from all countries, but we have this, quota that's you know very limiting and you actually have to depend on luck which is the craziest thing to get you know get chosen for the h1b so it's a very tedious process and i think you know the lawmakers in congress are trying to remedy it because um there's also a lot of entrepreneurs like you know people who you interview in this podcast where there's no way of them getting an H-1B because they don't want to work for somebody else. And the other way is an EB-5 visa, which you have to invest, you know, a million or half a million dollars. Every international student I talk to, they always complain about it. And the funny thing is Americans don't even know about it. So it's a very interesting, um, you know, political issue that probably will be addressed, you know, in November, but it's something that not a lot of Americans deal with. But unfortunately, so many international students have to, you know, worry about whether I should, you know, stay in the U.S. or leave. It's not a fact of even merit. It's just a fact of luck mm-hmm. and, you know, legislation. Yeah, no, you're so right about that, because I remember I, every time I, you know, I have to go through this process, whether it's for my undergrad or my MBA, everybody assumes I'm American, but I'm always like, mm-hmm. there is, I have so much paperwork to do and I have to pray. <laughs> I just pray that I'm one of the people that gets chosen because, you know, it's a lottery and, and it's the craziest yeah. thing because there are way more international students that come to the United States and the fact that it's only up, to, you know, maximum probably 85,000 or something, maybe even less. Right. 
that you can mm-hmm. get that, you know, the ratio doesn't even work. You know, it's not based on your master's yeah. doctorate. It's like, we'll put you in a lottery. If you get it, you get it. And um, it's crazy. But the reason why I started off with that was not only to educate the audience on kind of the reality and why this is a big issue. And I think it's really admirable that you're talking that. But it also creates this despair amongst um, immigrants and some international students. And a lot of TCKs end up falling in both categories, immigrants, uh, international students. They just don't feel like there's a path for them. So I'm curious, you know, as someone that wrote, uh, you know, an amazing book called The Employed Immigrant, what are things that you found, uh, you know, that, that have turned the system around? Hmm, that's a great question. So um, I think individually, I'll just talk a little bit about some of the, issues that a lot of immigrants and international students will face. So I started off um, being a fired business analyst. And after I was fired, I had the luxury of time to think about what I wanted to do. So because I learned English 16 years ago, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to serve my own pain. So I started teaching immigrants how to pass their TOEFL tests. And one of the things that you'll find with immigrants is that they're most of the time, the people who made it to the U.S., they're very technically qualified, they're very smart, but some of the cultural issues, it's something that people, it's kind of like an unwritten rule. So you don't really get to know about it until you make mistakes yourself. My um, Persian TOEFL student, so he used to own a pharmacy in Tehran, and he came to the U.S. a few years ago. So he was coming to me to pass the TOEFL so that he can get his pharmacy license so he can practice in the U.S., now, he, um, he didn't mean any malice by it. Um, he gifted his female boss a bottle of perfume. Now, she thought it was kind of a you know, misunderstanding, so he got fired. So unfortunately, I feel that a lot of the issues that immigrants face, it's not because of their qualifications. It's not even much of their language barriers. It's because of you know, their cultural issues. Now, going back to some of the H-1B issues that I've seen, some of it is just persistence, right? You know, I've had clients who, you know, ultimately do decide to go back to their home countries, but like 98% of my clients, they want to stay here because, you know, they got educated here. So they want to, you know, at least contribute to the U.S. in some form. But unfortunately, if they miss the um, H-1B visa, which one of my clients did a few years ago, and she has, I think she has three master's degrees, which is a crazy thing. And she came back and then last year she was able to get the H-1B visa. So I think, unfortunately, because it is a logistical thing, like not everybody's going to be able to get 85,000 visas just because there's, you know, 200,000 people applying for it. Sometimes it's just, you know, persistence. And I've been listening to a podcast, which is from a Chinese source. They said the person who filed the H-1B um, had his lawyer mix up his dates. So, you know, it was, he was totally innocent in it. You know, there's nothing they could do. So what he did was he enrolled himself in a community college. And then he took a part-time CPT job, which is a curricular practical training, which is like kind of like an internship, but you have to get authorizations. And he was able to get another OPT and then apply for an H-1B again. So it was like a two-year process. But ultimately, he got the H-1B. So I think that's the thing that helped him remedy the situation, just keep applying and then just, you know, staying in the U.S., whether it's a F-1 visa 
or you have to go back to community college again. Um, it's not so much, you know, if you want to stay in the U.S., do it as, you know, the legal way possible, even though it's um, kind of can be very annoying at times. Yeah. There have been people who, you know, been able to stay here. And the next thing is, if you just get married to a U.S. citizen, I guess things are just much easier because, you know, you get the green card. And unfortunately, people who have the merits to do so can't do it as fast as people who just, you know, marry, you know, a U.S. citizen. So those are those are some of the ways that I've seen them, I guess, turn around. That's uh, incredible that you're sharing all that. I'm glad because a lot of people in the audience, I, I can guarantee you don't know this this reality. And you did it in such a great job. It, it's um, <laughs> it's so funny when you brought up the marry point because every time I, I've talked to a few lawyers, you know, they'll jokingly but seriously say, <laughs> why don't you get married to the American? You know, you can fix this issue. And I'm like, are you supposed to be telling me that? <laughs> they're, 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 but they always say that. Uh, but but it's so funny uh, uh, that you brought that up. All right. But one thing I want to go on to is, okay, so that's the reality. And a lot of times it does depend on luck. The clients that you've had. So, you know, looking at your website here, you've helped PhDs who didn't want a job in academia get a job offer as a GIS developer for the government. You know, you coach some clients from transition from social media to become a UX designer. You essentially can show people the science, and you say not the art, the science of getting hired. What, how did this happen? I mean, what is this? You don't, you don't have to give it away because I know that they'll come to you so they can get that science. But can you share a little bit about what that science is and what tips you know people can do to actually get interviews and get jobs? Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you brought up this question because I think that a job search is a stage in life where it's kind of like a, like a milestone, right? You know, you get into college as a milestone, you know, you graduate college, you know, that's another celebration. But up until then, it's like you get into the school and you just stay in school and then you do what the teacher says. And, you know, if you pass first grade, you go into second grade, you make good grades, you go into a good school. It's very much, you know, you follow the rules and you get rewarded. But what I found with the job search is that it really reveals some of our deepest insecurities because it's no longer structured, right? It depends on who, how many people you know, who are you connected with, and your own ability to, um, how do I put this, your own ability to apply for jobs that may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. So I find that people think it's just luck or people just think, oh, this person you know, can laugh and joke with everyone. Of course, they can get a job, but that's not really the case because it's really um, a science. So what do I define by science? To me, science is a series of steps that are going to get you results. Now, people don't really think of interviewing or networking as a science, but it's very much a science because if you know what to do and you keep applying for jobs, it's almost inevitable that you're going to get it. Because the only people that I've seen fail in job search are just the people who said, you know what, this is, this is too much for me. I just want to go back home, which is fine. But that's the only way you're going to fail is if you just stop trying. So I feel that, you know, especially as an immigrant, I'll deal with other immigrants and they'll say things that Americans will never say. They'll say like, oh, because my job experience is from China and somehow that um, they feel like that illegitimizes themselves from applying because they think, oh, it's another country. 
or they just straight up feel like they're discriminated against, which may be true, but it doesn't really help them improve. You know, I do understand that, of course, there's going to be racism in the world, but sometimes they're just stopped dead in those tracks because they think that there's no method to finding a job. It's just, you know, you're born extroverted or, you know, your family has connections, which in many other countries that they're from, um, because I've worked with, you know, my clients from Mexico, India, China, and Iran, and they all, these countries do depend on connections. But the thing is, in the U.S., we depend on connections, too. Like 80% of our jobs are through referrals. The story that I like to share is uh, when one of my friend's friends came to San Francisco knowing nobody, but he knew that he had to find a job. So what he did was he joined a really high-end boxing gym that he knew a lot of CEOs went to. And he literally fought his future boss. And after the fight, the future boss offered him a job. So it's not that he, you know, was he the most talented person? You know, was he the most technically skilled person? I don't know. But he knew how to be in the right place at the right time. So that's why I think that when we look at it as a science, uh, a step-by-step approach, instead of just thinking, oh, this person is born in America, they don't have to go through an H-1B, or, you know, this person's naturally good at speaking, of course they're going to be good at interviews. It's kind of like my mission is for everyone to know, you know, no matter where you're from, you can be from Nigeria, China, India, um, anywhere in the world, it's something that you can learn. So that's why I feel that it's more of a science than an art. I, I love that explanation, and that's that's brilliant. And if you want to get a free call with Lee, you know, be sure to, to go to freecallwithlee.com or thesuccessfulimmigrant.com, and she's got loads more tips on where she can share, you know, just what she said and, you know, boost your your understanding of what the U.S. market is. Uh, before we go, yeah, before so we go into the, stu- oh, stu- no, my pleasure. I mean, <laughs> sorry about interrupting, but my, my pleasure. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share. Uh, you've got a lot of great resources. Uh, before we get into the book, I, I, more of the book, I wanted to talk about your story because I touched on it a little bit in the intro. I think it's fascinating. And I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's one of those type of stories that really gives me chills because you came here with no English and you fought your way despite being held back a grade, what was that experience like? Do you remember, you know, take me back to that time. Sure. So one of my favorite stories to share too. So um, I came to the U.S. like permanently to live here in 2000. And one of the things that I discovered, and with your book too, because I read Their Culture Kit and I totally resonated with your story as well. It's right. not just the language. Yeah, it's, it's more the identity. Because in China... I, you know, I was living with my cousin at the time because, you know, Chinese families, you know, quite extended. So we were like three months apart. And I remember my grandmother would say to us, like, she would say to me, like, look at your cousin. Every time she comes back from school, she does her homework right away. And I was the kid who came back from school and just watched, like, I don't know, Sailor Moon or Conan and one of the anime shows. And I would, like, do my homework probably, I think, after dinner or something, but we would get the same grades. Like, we were all pretty much like straight A students. So I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It seems to me that it's been working out fine. So I didn't really pay too much attention um, to my. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Identity as a smart kid. But once I came to the U.S., my mom kind of talked the principal and the vice principal and some other teachers into accepting me um, because there had to be um, some sort of a admissions test. But she she told them that, you know, I played the piano, I could draw. So, you know, I'm going to contribute well to the school. But the only thing was a language barrier. So there were no ESL programs at the time um, because I was living in Palm Springs. Um, the region is very much white and Hispanic and the school, you know, most of the kids were American. So there were no ESL programs. So the only thing that they can do is just, you know, say, okay, so instead of going to fourth grade, uh, instead of going to fifth grade, let's hold, hold her back in fourth grade. So that kind of, you know, hit my self-esteem a little bit, but, you know, I was still, you know, okay, it's probably the best thing to do in the grand scheme of things. And when I came to school, I was like, the first day, I, you know, could understand what the teacher said, but I just feel like I could not interact well with the, uh, my peers. So I think for about, I would say at least a year and a half or two years, I just felt like this dumb kid, you know, my identity as a smart kid had been stripped. The only thing that I was pretty much good at, you know, it's going to be stereotypical, but it was math. Right. And I, and I didn't even like math that much, but I just felt like, wow, my whole identity has gone. You know, I just felt like I was kind of like the marker between my childhood, you know, in China, where I was, you know, doing pretty well being this smart kid to all of a sudden losing my identity. So I just, you know, went through a lot of doubts, you know, am I smart? You know, am I the same person? So I really just submerged myself in learning English because I just, you know, didn't want to be made fun of. I didn't want an accent. I just want to make sure, you know, that I did well in school enough to um, excel. And after the first semester of fifth grade, I did skip a grade, but I just always felt that culturally, I could just never relate to my peers because I didn't know what the Chappelle show, I didn't, I mean, I didn't watch, I knew what it was, but I just <laughs> could not really connect you know with my with my peers and the thing is like you did talk about you know sports being a great um like kind of equalizer when you were in um i think is it burkina faso oh Um, you have a great memory yeah (laughs) yeah i did some studying this morning (laughs) anyways um what was i saying yeah for me like i really wasn't athletic and you we all know you know american schools you if you're athletic you know you're liked or if you're you know popular as a as a girl you know you're liked. But I just didn't have any of that. So for me, 
Um, I knew that I got back my academic self, you know, but I just felt very much lonely and I was, you know, only child and I just didn't really know how to, you know, fit in. And the funny thing is that struggle turned into what, how I was able to help my clients because once I started my business, I realized I was attracting all these immigrants who resonated, you know, with my story. And the funny thing is uh, my husband is also a TCK. And he came at this almost the same age as I did. Um, he's from Mexico and he kind of went through the same struggles, but he had an ESL class. But, you know, he still has an accent to this day. So I kind of wonder, you know, what happens if I just, you know, was less strict on my academia, what kind of identity I would have. But the funny thing is, you know, we thought we would learn each other's languages. Actually, we learned nothing from each other. <laughs> like we, we just speak English and he doesn't know any Chinese. I, you know, still struggle with Spanish, which is the funny thing. Because in I I got in touch with Spanish as soon as I came to Southern California, just because of this um, huge Latino population. But I still haven't learned Spanish. I'm still trying to use Duolingo. But what we connect with was the same similar experience of, you know, being an outsider, um, not really sure how to, you know, integrate with it. But I think what it taught us was to be really accepting of other cultures. So he's very at home with Asian cultures. You know, I grew up with Mexican friends all my life. So in a sense, it made us more, I would say, tolerant and open to more people. And, you know, people ask me, you know, what kind of immigrants do you help with? And I'm like, all immigrants, because I think a lot of times we define ourselves by what we're born with. Like, I can't change the fact that I was born Chinese. Um, I can't change the fact that I'm born. A, well, I could, you know, but I, I feel that immigrants, they decided themselves, right? So we decided to leave our families or consented to our parents, you know, taking us to another country. So I feel like that's a bigger marker of somebody's initiative and personality just from where they're from. Cause I don't think it, you know, home is not really a physical place. It's just, you know, where you feel at home as well. So I just think that, you know, growing up, that was one of the biggest markers of me. Um, it made me feel okay with being uncomfortable as well, because fortunately I didn't know English. So I didn't even know when I was made fun of. And then a few years later, I wake up and say, Oh, my God, they made fun of me. But, you know, because I didn't understand, I didn't take it as hard. And if you look at the statistics, I think about immigrants are about 25% more likely to start businesses than native born Americans. And it's not a knock on Americans. It's just I'm not surprised at that statistic. Because of my own experiences, you know, being uncomfortable, losing identities, you know, trying to learn different languages and connecting with people who look different from me. I just feel like we, we just kind of got used to being uncomfortable. So when it comes to starting a business, you know, like like, you know, your business with interviewing people, you know, connecting with others, um, asking for the sale, going on phone calls, doing networking. So we're actually more prepared to do so just because we've we've been kind of like knocked down a few times. So yeah. we're, we're more used to it and we're actually more likely to succeed because of our failures in the past. Yeah, no, you're, you're so right. And speaking of failures, you said you had over a hundred applications. I had, after college, I applied to over 85 jobs and they were all no's. So you got, you had a better success rate than I did. And I was <laughs> like, Oh, I was like, and it, it was the same thing. It was, it had to do with visa. It had to do with this. I just, it just crushed my identity, but I love 
well, well, briefly before I picked it back up, but, but, um, what I love that you did and you shared in your story was talking about that, the idea of being comfortable with discomfort, you know, get comfortable, being uncomfortable and, and, Yes, you know, you know, accents might be different. Yes, people might make fun of it, but that determination to to understand that I need to connect, or I could either just have a negative outlook and not grow, or just force myself through the pain and grow. I think it's so key because it's obviously helped you in your business right now. And the ironic thing about what you're doing is you're helping people do something you've already gone through for mm-hmm. many years, and, and that's the ultimate. Uh, rewarding experience because now you are in a business where maybe if you are going to, a, I don't know, a stat, Fortune 500 company, they'll say you need 20 years experience of this or something like that. But you have over 20 years experience being you and understanding that culture already. So no one can tell you, well, you need more experience understanding immigrants and, and doing this because you've already done it. And now you've turned that into a business. And it's uh, I think it's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to piggyback on the th- the experience thing, because, oh, my God, so many of my um, international students say, oh, I just studied all four years of school. And I'm like, that's fine. We can still find something, something in terms of your experience, because one of my clients, he was from India, and he told me he had two years of experience. And we were looking at his resume. He had been programming since he was like in the last year of middle school. So he had actually had 7.5 years of experience. But because of his own thoughts on what experience should be, he just said two. Mm. Right. And right after we said 7.5 on his resume, he got more um, interviews. So I think the thing with experiences as well is that people may think, oh, when I was at, um, you know, my country, that doesn't count because the system is different. Well, actually, it does count because the thing is, Americans they're not, I don't think they're purposefully trying to screen you out. Of course, there are certain companies like that. But a lot of it has to do with our presentation too. like, I'll find somebody who is from, you know, China Agricultural Bank, which, you know, any Chinese person you ask, you know, it's like the top 10 banks. But if you ask an American person, they're like, I don't know what that bank is, you know, can you are you able to handle transactions like that? And they say, you know, they're able to handle like 1 million in like a week. So I think sometimes it's not really the experience, it's how you phrase it, right? Like if you, if I say, like you said, like 20 years of experience being an immigrant, then that looks awesome, right? But if I just say, you know, I just graduated and nothing else, of course, they're going to pass you. So I think when it comes to experience, it's not as important as the results, because I think the results that you achieve, you know, I think, um, you know, a large part is irrelevant, right? You know, Mark Zuckerberg, he started Facebook when he was 19, right? And logically speaking, somebody else with more experience should be able to do the job. But I find that, you know, I think I'm going to tell a story. So the thing with, I think, immigrant Chinese moms is that they don't really care that much about, (laughs) like, what's, what's, done and was not done. So I did talk a little bit about how I was able to get into the Catholic school, right? So she pretty much just disregarded that there had to be a test and she negotiated. So I think that, you know, with your job too, it's not like if you don't have three to five years, like the job description says, you're just totally unqualified. Just apply anyways, right? And see what happens, right? And share some of your side projects Share some of the things that you've done because maybe they're going to really be impressed by it, right? It's not just the years. And a lot of times that I find with um, 
East Asian women, because um, I know that you also interviewed another person who was doing cultural codes. I think it is quite true. Um, different cultures have different limits on what's okay, you know, especially with self-promotion and how okay it is to talk about what you've accomplished. I find that um, as women, we're kind of bred to be nice and not so, you know, braggy and fear of, you know, being the odd one out. And especially in East Asian cultures, I remember like in elementary school, they told us a story about this communist soldier who had to keep quiet in order to um, not to protect his troops, you know, not alert them. And then he there was like a small brush fire happening. He basically literally burned himself to death uh, to save the, the group. So I think that there's a big, huge cultural thing on, you know, not sticking out and giving credit to the group. But in the U.S., you can't really do that because we value, you know, individuals, you know, heroically turning around companies, you know, individuals doing this and doing that. So I think it's also not in just the hard facts of how many years of experience you have. It's, you know, really adapting yourself to the cultural norms of, you know, self-promotion and being, you know, like we said, the most amazing country in the world, the United States. So I just think experience is not as important as you think. So somebody's listening and thinking, I don't have enough experience. It's actually okay. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's all about how you frame it. You know, in business as in life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And that's such a great point with that you brought up with, you know, people getting what they're asking for. So, you know, present yourself in, in the best way you can. Frame it in the best possible way. And, you know, don't be afraid. To ask, like your mom did, you know, your mom's a great yeah. example of, of just someone who said, "Hey, I'm my daughter's going to the school, so that's gonna happen." Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so that, exactly. So let's wrap up with with the book here. Um, what take me back to when you first decided to write this book, and what do you hope the audience gets out of the book? Sure. So um, the idea for the book started out in January 2016. Um, at that point, I've been able to help about, I think, about. 15 or 20 or so of my clients. So I thought, you know, there's a, there's something that more people should know about, right? And at that point, um, in about May, I was able to help my clients land six figures. So I thought, hey, um, since I know so much about it and I'm not able to, you know, serve the whole world, why don't I just write a book about it? And it's actually one of my most personal because my previous books never talked about my immigration, never talked about how I felt coming to the U.S. or just my identity. So there is a chapter dedicated to what you should do from ages zero to 100. So basically, um, it reflects a lot about my mom's story. She came here in the 30s, and my grandmother came here in her 70s, and I came here in my uh, 10. So it's, um, it's sharing what you should and should not do, things that I wish that I had known back then. And obviously, it's also sectioned towards you know how to network, um, how to reach out to your alumni, how to, you know, get that coffee meeting, um, how to do LinkedIn um, networking. And then it's also about how you can interview and how you can negotiate your salary, because it's something that people don't really spend too much time thinking about because it's just uncomfortable. Right. And the process, I also gather 10 of my friends and actually one of my uh, contributors and friends uh, was the one who introduced me to you, you know, Margaret. Um, I, I like to joke that she's the most Chinese person that I know. She's <laughs> Nigerian, right? She watches so many dramas and she's so funny. And she was able to share my, her story, you know, coming from 18 to the U.S. from Nigeria 
and her, you know, journeys as a nurse and also a writer. And I got, you know, people from um, Ecuador who was a banker um, because she spoke Spanish. She was working as a banker in the UK. Um, I got people who went from mining degrees to building H-1B websites for other immigrants. And I got people who, you know, created a network of like 20,000 people just on Facebook just for job hunting. So that project connected more to me to my immigrant friends I didn't realize how many that I had and then their stories just you know really made me think that you know this is just more than just my story right it's you know the whole world you know people are emigrating everywhere all across the country and those are the stories that I think I'm most proud of because I think their stories are you know actually way cooler than mine so that was the inspiration behind the book and that's how I got started writing it there are a few people writing to me saying Wow, you really inspired me. And one person actually was able to use that, um, use that to get a job in Mumbai. So he said, you know, my next stop is New York. So um, <laughs> it's it's proven to work in you know different places around the world. I didn't think it was going to be this big of a movement, but I'm just glad that you know it was able to give my friends a platform to share their stories and you know make other people realize, yeah, they're just like me. You know, they've moved to different countries and they've been able to succeed. So it's also, you know, just serves as inspiration to let people know, doesn't matter where you're from, you can, you know, succeed in the U.S. So kind of good old American dream um, type of book. Well, for those listening, that's an incredible story. And you can get the book everywhere books available, but you check out SuccessfulImmigrant.com. <laughs> the book is called The Employed Immigrant, How to Land Your Next Six-Figure Dream Job in the United States. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for being... You know, I, I love I love interviewing you because you've shared so many stories. You, you, you just share stories and you talk and you talk. And it's the best type of podcast for me because it really allows the guests to just express themselves. And so I'm, I'm honored that you did that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> You're a great interviewer. Thank you. But I can't let you go. Yet, without asking this question, this is the mission statement, right? The mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. How do you, Lee, use your difference to make a difference? Yeah, so because I sucked so bad at job searching and I was so different from everyone else um, just in my you know, teenage years, I just want people to know that it's okay. It doesn't matter where you come from, how little experience you have, or how not sure of you are in terms of your job search, whether you're a recent immigrant or have been an immigrant or just an international student, um, you can get any job that, you know, you put your mind to and you can stay in the U.S. Even though it's quite hard right now, if you really do put your mind to it and have a proven method to do it, you can reach your dream. Beautifully said, beautifully said. If you find out, if you want to find out more, rather, about Lee Lin, be sure to check out the show notes. I'll put out the website. It's called thesuccessfulimmigrant.com. And her book, before we wrap up, is called The Employed Immigrant, How to Land Your Next Six-Figure Dream Job in the United States. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lee. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tyle. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 